Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. It's great to be here. I may have to sit down, uh, so I'm going to get this. Am I allowed to get this stool here? Um, Just in case I need it. no, it's great to be here. Uh, you know, some of the best years of my life in ministry were here as a church plant pastor on staff here. And so, uh, you know, I have my own home now, but this is still kind of home in the sense that like your mother's house is home, you know, that it's home, but then not quite. Uh, so this is a very special place and a lot of new faces and a lot of faces that aren't new. So that's both of those things are great news. And Um, It's just really good to be with you. I want you to know that uh, I know you guys are in transition right now. I hope you know that you have a whole lot of people that are a part of the larger Nazarene body in our city that pray for you a lot and care about you a lot. We gather every Sunday morning, uh, BCC is gathering right about now probably to do kind of a pre-service prayer meeting. And we always pray for you, your church by name. Uh, some of the people up here, we pray for by name, pray for a lot of the your leadership by name. And uh, you're just, you're always in our prayers and on our thoughts. And so um, we just are, are so great grateful to be able to share life and ministry with real life community and grateful to be able to share it with you. Uh, I want us to do a little exercise this morning to get us ready for the message that God has given uh, this morning. And so you should have a card somewhere near you. Do you have a card somewhere near you and a pen? Do you have a card and a pen somewhere near you? If you once you have the card and pen in hand, raise it up in the air and show me. I'm going to wait till I see like everybody with a card and a pen in the air. Okay, we're like 60% there, getting closer. Now we're like 70% there. Close enough. All right. I always try to do 90% when you take kids on trips and stuff and everything. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Sam, so you did great. Uh, well, this morning, I want us to do something. And while we do this exercise, I'm going to open it up to, to giving some tithes and offerings. So um, I think still the basket up here, right? So you got a basket right up here. And if uh, you brought tithes and offerings, you know, tithes and offerings is one of the oldest acts of worship in the Christian uh, faith. In about 90 AD, Hippolytus recorded that one of the first ever worship services and offering and tithes giving was on that most early, sorry, rabbit trail. Uh, wonderful act of worship though. So we're going to do that while I want you to take that card and I want you to write down on it all of the things that you accomplished this week. All the tasks you accomplished, you, you can get as nitty gritty about it as you want and talk about how you ate breakfast every day or something. You can just do what you, what you accomplished at work, but all the, all the busyness of your week, all the things that you've accomplished, the tasks that you've gotten done, jot those down. And uh, while we do that, uh, and, you, and you take time to do that also, if you have tithes and offerings, you came ready to give uh, baskets up here for that. And I'm going to get set while we do that.
You could, you could write and write and write and write. Um, man, God uh, kind of really tore me up and uh, spoke to me and shaped me with the message for this morning um, when I was looking for the lectionary passage for this week. Uh, I've had a really busy week. It's actually a busy, busy time of the year for me and Katie both. Katie's a school teacher, my wife, and uh, we have a little boy. And so uh, this time of year, we have district assembly, which hits. If you're in the Church of the Nazarene, that means all the churches from the eastern part of the state of Tennessee get together and do business. That's really busy for a pastor. So that comes this time of year. And then Katie is a teacher. And so this, this time of year, they also are saying, get your class ready, get all that stuff done. You have a limited amount of time, then training starts. On top of that, we have a little boy. We're getting him ready and trying to prepare him for some daycare. And on top of that, we got a little girl on the way. And so we're trying to get, you know, you got to have your nursery ready at least 20 weeks ahead of time. So we're working on the nursery and getting that done. And so just busy, 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 all kinds of tasks, lots of stuff to do. One of the busiest uh, weeks of my life, uh, you know, and uh, this week and last week, just really, really crazy, insane fortnight for me. Um, and, I, you know, I just went to this passage and, and thought about the fact that, you know, even as busy as I've been this week, I could find somebody busier. You ever notice that? You go up to somebody and they go, how are you doing? You go, man, it's been a busy week. And you tell them everything that you've done. And the response is not, wow, you were really busy. But rather it's, well, let me tell you what I had to do this week, you know. And it's like this battle we do. Who's busier? You know, who's accomplished more? What have we done? Some of you were just doing that in your chairs, weren't you? You were, you were, you were sharing your card and phone going out. Now nah, I went out, you know. Um, because really, I think in our culture, it's a great sin to not be busy. Because if you're busy, you're lazy, right? And so you got to be busy all the time. You got to be about tasks all the time. You got to be accomplishing something all the time. I told Katie this on our way. We spent some time on a boat yesterday with our family. And on the way back, I said, I felt guilty a little bit on that boat for just a moment. And that, that means I think our culture has really done a number on me when I can feel guilty for not being busy, for nothing other than just needing to be busy. You ever feel that way? You finally rest and settle and it feels unnatural 
to not be busy all the time. We have people that come to BCC that are on setup teams. Sometimes they'll come and they'll say, we haven't done anything this morning and it feels wrong. And I'll say, no, 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 you know. Uh, so what does it mean for us as Christians to be busy people, to be task accomplishers, to not be lazy and be righteous at, at the same time? At what point does our busyness stop being productive and start being unrighteous? And how can we be faithfully busy and then when do we need to be careful about being unfaithfully busy? Chapter 10 of the book of Luke, uh, Gospel of Luke, Jesus starts the chapter and he sends 72 apostles out and gives them a lot of things to do. Gives them a lot of tasks to accomplish. He says, I want you to pray. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to heal sicknesses in my name. I want you to go into every town. I want you to stay in homes. I want you to influence those homes for Christ. When you leave the city, I want you to make a judgment call on how that city has treated the gospel and act according to that. He finishes that and then he goes into a story about what it means to be a good neighbor and how good neighbors act upon the good of their neighbor. They, they engage in tasks of love and tasks of meaning for their neighbor's sake. And that's what it means to be a Christian neighbor, a follower of Jesus. A lot of things to accomplish. There's a lot to get done. In case you haven't noticed, faith works. And so Jesus makes it very clear in chapter 10 that to be a Christian is to be a a busy person. It's to be a, pe a person that knows that uh, we can never just look at the world and say, well, in my heart I did. But we have to look at the world and say, this is what it means to engage in that world. And we could almost get to the end of chapter 10 and go, man, being a Christian must be an exhausting, busy, uh, taxing faith. And then it's almost like Jesus knew our brains would go there. And so he, he engages in, in this uh, activity that we'll read about in verses 38 through 42 of chapter 10 of the book of Luke. So listen to this story. Listen to this encounter that Jesus has in the town of, uh, well, town differs according to which gospel you're reading, with Mary and Martha. This is the word of the Lord in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And so she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Then tell her to help me if you care. And the Lord answered her, but Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by so many things. There is need of only one thing. And Mary's chosen the better part which will never be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we're busy. We know we're busy. We've got a lot of things to accomplish, a lot of things to do. Um, even if it feels unnatural, we know that it's good for us this morning to sit and be still and to listen. As a great man has said, uh, Christians are the last true good listeners because we practice it once a week. As we sit at your feet this morning, teach us what it will mean for us to get out of this facility as the church and go out into the world and be very busy about our tasks. Teach us to recognize when they are righteous and when they are not. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Jesus comes to the town and, and he meets a woman named Martha. I love it when this happens. Martha's name literally means lady. 
uh, there's nothing really significant or that stands out about the name Martha. It's almost as if we could look at Martha and go, well, that's me. Um, and Jesus comes to the town uh, with where Martha lives and he goes to Martha's house. He, Martha doesn't invite him. There's no extension of an invitation, it seems, from Martha. Jesus just sort of seems to show up at her door and knocks on the door and says, I'd like to come in. We see Mary there and in other gospels there are other things about Mary. This is not a story about Mary. This is Martha's house. And Jesus comes knocking on Martha's door and Martha, the scripture says, welcomes him. Now, in our, in our culture, you know, we're headed into Cracker Barrel and somebody says, welcome to Cracker Barrel. You know, we don't take that too seriously. But actually in that day and age, the word welcome means to take responsibility for receiving somebody. I don't know if ever, any of you have ever been to a culture where hospitality is serious serious, serious business. And when you go to someone's house, they say, I'm having Clayton into my home. And that means because I'm opening and receiving Clayton under my roof, that I'm taking responsible for this being a place pleasing and acceptable to him. And he's going to come in and I'm going to make him at home. I'm going to feed him well. I'm going to protect him. I'm going to house him. I'm going to, I'm going to work around and make space in my life for his life and take responsibility for all that entails to make it a pleasing, acceptable experience for Clayton. So Martha is there and Jesus comes knocking on her door. She opens the door, there's Jesus and the scripture says she sees Jesus and, and he kind of invites himself in and she welcomes, she receives him. She takes responsibility for making her life, her home, a pleasing and acceptable place for Christ. That would be a big deal if it were Clayton. It's a much bigger deal, no offense, that it's Jesus. Clayton, you're second to Jesus. Somebody's got to be. Um, can you imagine being Martha? She's heard stories. She's, she's got a close connection to Jesus. She knows that he's a miracle worker. She knows that, that people are calling him the Messiah, the, the Son of God. She knows that, that the prophecy perhaps says that this, this one has come to save humanity from our sins. And here's Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, shows up at her door. You know, when people knock on our doors now, we hide. But Jesus knocked on her door. You know you do. Nobody move. You know, Jesus knocks on her door. Martha opens it up and it's Jesus. She knows that to welcome him in is going to be a big responsibility. She'll have her part to play in Jesus coming to her home. And yet she says, I'm willing. I want you to come in. And she says, all that entails, I'll take that. It really, I mean, it's a lot like the way we encounter Christ, right? We don't invite Christ. First, Christ comes a-knocking. And Christ knocks on the door of our lives and our hearts, and we say, we open that door, we see Christ, and we go, yes, yes, I, I want you to come. You came uninvited. I don't deserve to have you in my home, but I, I want you to come in. I want to receive you. And, and to a point, we take responsibility for making our lives pleasing and acceptable in the sight of Christ, right? That is a big job. And so Mary, Martha gets busy. She gets busy making her home a place where Christ is pleased to dwell. She gets busy making her table set for Jesus. She's busy preparing the room where he'll stay. She's busy arranging and fixing. And listen, if, if, if you are really a hospitality person, you know that she's washing the baseboards. She's cleaning the top of the door frames just in case the mother-in-law wipes her finger across the top of that sucker and there's dust. She's going all over the house, getting ready, preparing the space for Christ. This is not unrighteous busyness 
at first. Martha is not some, some just blockhead who's missing the point. She's not neglecting Christ. She's doing the opposite at first. She's putting all of her attentions and all of her energies and all of her strength and all of her effort into making sure that Christ knows she cares that this place be perfect for him. Okay? So she's busy. At this point in the story, nothing is said about her that would make us think that Martha has in any way missed the mark. Or that in any way Martha is, is about unrighteous or unfaithful tasks. She's doing what any good host would do, especially someone hosting Christ in their life. She's trying to make everything perfect for Jesus. Mary is also about a task. Mary is about the task of listening. Just because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus doesn't mean she's not doing anything. To listen is not to do nothing, right? It's not to, to, to be idle. So Mary is sitting there at the feet of Jesus with her ears and her heart and her mind and her eyes and her hands open and she's drinking in the scripture says the instruction of Christ. While Martha's just, just, you know, getting everything ready, Mary's going, I don't care if the house looks like garbage. There's one of those in every family. I don't care if all the clothes are dirty. I don't care if there are no clean towels. I don't care if we're getting pizza instead of serving, you know, a home-cooked meal. I don't care if the pillowcases aren't on yet. I don't care if the sheets haven't been washed. All I care about is the task of opening everything to Christ and sitting under the instruction of Jesus. At this point, still... We're not told that Mary is sort of doing the right thing and Martha's doing the wrong thing. They are just about different tasks here, both honoring Christ. One, with open hands, heart, mind, listening to instruction. The other, making sure that Christ is welcomed well. But then there's this line in the story, and this is the line. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying, but... This is one of those hinge words, right? Now we're opening the door. Now we're turning a page. Now we're going into a new chapter. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Man, I, you know, I, sometimes I, I hate the, the way the English language translates the Bible. Um, th this word distracted, literally uh, the closest word we could compare it to is in Hebrews chapter 2, which is that word drift away. Literally this word means to be drawn or coaxed away from something else. So it literally would be like me talking to my wife and she's trying to pay attention to uh, one of you talking to her. And as you and her are trying to have a conversation, I'm over next to her and I'm going, babe, honey, babe, yeah, we... We got to go. Come on, babe. Yeah, babe. Literally, it's this idea that while your attention is, is attempting to be focused on one thing, another thing is sort of drawing you, sort of coaxing you, sort of enticing you away from fixed attention on the first thing. And this, this seems to be the crux of the issue. This seems to be the point at which righteous tasks become unrighteous. It, sort of, it seems to be the, the point at which a faithful busyness becomes unfaithful busyness. And it's at that point, it's at that, 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 that mark in the road, it's at that turning point at which tasks and busyness no longer drive us towards Jesus, but draw us and coax us and entice us away from Jesus. Martha was busy preparing her house for Jesus, doing righteous works. She was about moral and religious and important activities and tasks that involved making this a good place for Christ. And all that is good stuff until, until, instead of being 
centered around the presence of Jesus, in and of itself, those tasks become something that draw her away. Oh, they're still religious. They're still all about Jesus. They're, they're still important. They're still needed. But they have ceased to be a means and have become in and of themselves an end. Martha is now just a busybody instead of being a worker for the sake of Jesus. Mary is sitting there. Mary's sitting there and Martha approaches Jesus and says, don't, don't you, do you see my sister? She's just sitting there doing nothing. And I'm running around getting all these tasks complete. And Jesus says to her, your many tasks have distracted you. You've, you've sort of decided that, that instead of the task being oriented around me, instead of the task being centered on my life, that instead the tasks themselves have taken on the value and you've been drawn away from my presence. Mary, Mary has recognized that there is only one need. Man, our list of needs is so long, isn't it? Need a bigger house, need a better car, need to pay it off, need to purchase more, need to get the raise, need to get the promotion, need to make sure the kids have the nicest clothes, need to make sure it's all accomplished. And then once we accomplish all of our needs, need to make sure it's safe and secure and we work ourselves to death. We get so busy because there are so many authorities in our world that seek to have that, that throne from which to tell us what we need. And what our culture most often is telling us that we need is more stuff, right? But it's not just stuff, it's success, it's important, it's to, it's to climb the ladder into the side of others. If we're in the church, it's to make this space perfect, it's to make everything right, it's to make sure we're doing all the good things. We need to get so much done, and Jesus is saying, but actually you don't. What you say you need Actually, all those things completely lose their value when removed from the actual need of your life. The question is, who's telling you what you need? Right? You, you filled out this card and you, you wrote so many things down on there. And if I were to come up to you and, and I were to say, why did you do that? You'd say, well, I need to get this done. Well, why did you do Well, I needed to get this done. Well, what about, well, I needed to get, how much time did you spend sitting and listening at the feet of Jesus? I don't, I mean, I don't need, huh? Busybodies on a rat wheel and our legs are worn off and our knees are going out, but we need to keep what we need. And what we need is being defined by what the world tells us we need. And that's the wrong authority to be listening to. And Jesus says to Martha, you have fallen into the arms of the tasks that draw you away from me. And actually all along there was only one need and Mary's discovered it. She's sitting in my presence and feasting on my instruction. When I was uh, pastoring, it was my first year in Cowan, Tennessee, and I was a pastor there. And uh, I, I hadn't been pastoring there very long. I was a seminary student and uh, been in seminary about two years. Had a full load. When I was in seminary, I had a scholarship which required me to have at least 12 hours of grad school going on a semester. So I was a full-time pastor, full-time husband and uh, had, had 12 hours of grad school going on. Maybe the busiest I've ever been until planting a church in my life. 
so busy. Now, there were nights that I would just lay down in bed and stare at the ceiling and be exhausted and not be able to sleep thinking about everything I should have gotten done that I didn't. Anybody else been there? I would just lay at the ceiling and stare up and think, oh God, why are there not 26 hours in a day? You know, why are you torturing me with this 24 hour thing? And I remember that one of the really good rhythms of life for me was that as a pastor, I said, one day a week, I'm just going to visit. I'm not going to try to accomplish anything else other than being with people. And so I would go around and I would visit all of the widows and widowers in my congregation and just spend time with them. And we'd just sit and talk. If you want to meet somebody that is totally unconcerned with the clock and your busyness, go find a 90-year-old widow or widower. They're going to slow you down, folks. I used to go every week and one of the ladies I would go to see... Uh, was, was Mabel Ashley. Norman's, Norman's here somewhere. I don't know if Zelf is. You remember Mabel Ashley, don't you, brother? Wonderful woman. Uh, first time I ever met her, I had a guy at my church come up to me and say, there's a lady you haven't met yet because she can't come to church anymore to the facility. Uh, but he said uh, she needs a ditch dug in her house and she says she's going to dig it herself. And I said we'd help her. And I said, she's going to dig it herself. How old is he? And he said, 90. And I said, she's not going to dig a ditch. She's threatening you. And I showed up at her house the next door and she had a shovel and she was digging a ditch to get runoff because her, her, her house would flood a little bit. And I remember going to her house uh, at one, one Thursday. It was my visitation day. It was Thursday. And I remember going to see her, and I'd go in her house, and it was 100 degrees. And if it was 100 degrees outside, it was too cold for her inside, so it would be 120 degrees in her house. I couldn't stay awake in there. I'd, just, I'd break into a flop sweat the minute I passed the threshold of the door. I remember going in there and sitting down on the couch, and, and uh, you know, I'd love to ask her about things. When you're 90 years old... I hope we honor our parents by asking them good questions when they get old. I used to sit there on a the couch and I'd say, you lived through JFK's assassination, yeah? You lived through the Civil Rights Movement, yeah? You lived through the, the Martin Luther King Jr. speeches, yeah? You lived through World War II at Pearl Harbor, yeah? You lived through, and I'd say, tell me about this stuff. One of the things that, that always drove me crazy is that no matter how often I would try to ask her about those things, she would always say, well, I don't remember. I was at work that day, and then she'd tell me about her workplace. And I'd go, yeah, okay. And it would always lead there. And I, I kept asking her these questions, thinking I'm going to break through one day, and she's actually going to tell me what it was like to hear that, you know, JFK was assassinated on the radio and I'll get this you know epic moment of hearing a, a story from someone who was there you know and I just kept asking her these questions and finally one day she got a little aggravated with me right and I was sitting there drinking drinking uh, some coffee and eating a peanut cookie not peanut butter just cookies with peanuts in it and uh, they're very good and I was sitting on her couch and I was eating one of these cookies and I was sipping and uh and she she just got a little mad and she stomped her foot a little bit and she said pastor I don't remember any of that and I said, what do you mean you don't remember any of that? She said, I don't remember any of those things that you're talking about. I said, what things? She said, you're talking about presidents dying. I don't remember that. Okay. World War II, you're talking about that. Yeah, I don't remember any of that. And I'm just looking at her, what? You know. She said, uh, some, Mar some, some Martin Luther guy, some man that, I don't remember any of that. I said, uh, okay, hmm. And she was just kind of aggravated now, kind of irritated. And I'm trying to, now I'm thinking, I'm going to get this woman mad. She's going to kill me. And, it, and I looked at her and I said, what do you remember? And her eyes teared up and she looked at me and she said, work. I remember my work. I remember going to the shoe factory day in and day out and day in and day out. And I remember laundry and I remember the garden and I remember work and sweat and toil 
and work. And she said, now I'm old and I'm tired and all I remember is work. And she wept and I wept. And I laid home, went home that night and laid in my bed and looked at a very different ceiling with very different eyes and I thought, God help me. One day will I find that I don't know anything except work and weariness. Why are we so busy? If you don't stop to ask Christ what you need, if I don't stop, one day we'll just be old and we'll be tired and we'll be weary and all we'll remember is work for what? For what? Now, don't get me wrong. There is righteous busyness. There are righteous tasks to be accomplished. But let me ask you this question. Are our tasks, is our busyness, when it comes to the point, is it coaxing and drawing and enticing us away from the feet of Christ or driving us to them? This is where tasks meet their righteous question. Your card. Go ahead and take a look at it again. Look at all that stuff that you got done this week. You got a lot done. I look out and you all look like really good citizens. None of you were too lazy, maybe. None of you spent too much time yesterday on a boat like I did, just laying around under the sun. Just look at it. Just look at it for a moment again. Would Christ say of you, her, his many tasks have drawn him, her away from me? Or would instead it be said, Jesus said to, to Martha, but Mary, the, the one real need, has been accomplished in her doing to sit at my feet. Let's be honest this morning about whether or not our tasks are righteous or unrighteous. Doesn't mean we're condemned, doesn't mean you're hated, doesn't mean you've failed. Just means we need to be more intentional about what we're doing. In uh, Romans, uh, Paul says this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life... I used to think death was the bigger power here, and now I'm beginning to think it's life. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said it like this in chapter 10. He said, Mary has chosen the only need which will never be taken from her. I wonder how many things we're so, how many needs we're so busy meeting that could so easily be taken from us. My house, pfft. you know, people ask me how often I lock my doors. I say, every night when my valuables are in it. Please don't come to my house. Our cars, our jobs, uh, our, our ladder climbing. 
really honestly, I think sometimes just our need to prove that we're not lazy. Just our need to prove that we deserve the life that we have. What are we what are we needing? All the things we work towards that can be taken away. But Jesus says, You're you're a human being, and you're made for me. And your one greatest need, your one greatest hunger and thirst, your one greatest passion, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, as the human that I've created you to be, is me. And once you discover what it means to fulfill that need, it will never be taken away. Not life, not death, not rulers, not things in the present, not the things we worry about to come. Nothing can separate us from Christ. I wanted to end by taking a few moments. I really, I tell my people a lot at BCC, when we read the gospel, it demands that we respond and do something. If, if we don't do anything, we're responding and saying it doesn't matter. We just let it go and move on. But whenever something important hits you, you've got to, you've got to respond to that. How do you respond to a passage like this? Well, I think maybe one of the best responses is to take a few moments to continue to look over our cards of busyness and to ask whether or not they're righteous. And then to listen to see if Jesus would say something to us this morning. I know that most of us get in our car and immediately turn on our radio. I know that we now get on our car and we click our phone like good, good citizens into the, into the little holder on the dashboard or we lay it down and don't look at it or we have Bluetooth because we can't hold our phones anymore while we drive. But we call someone immediately because we're terrified of silence, of stillness. So maybe in a, in a very, uh, I don't even know how to say it, in, a, uh, in an action against authorities that are unrighteous, we should do just that which feels the least right and just be quiet and sit and listen. So I want to ask you to bow your head and look at that card or close your eyes. And I think we have some music to play, some low music to play. And I want us just to listen for Jesus and think about whether our busyness is the kind of distraction or the kind that fulfills our need to be in the presence of our Lord.
Father. For many of us, this is the longest moment of listening in silence. We will observe unless we're asleep this entire week. We're so tired and weary and busy. And that seems so strange to a people who are busy reading a Bible and a gospel that says that your burden is light. And every time we think we have everything we need, we find there's something else to get done. And this morning, a little bit, we feel like our lives have been hijacked by an anti-gospel that keeps us busy for busyness sake. Lord, uh, this morning, our prayer is that uh, you would teach us to listen to you. To listen to you and, and to discover that the greatest need of our lives is for your voice, for your presence, for your life, for your instruction. It is not too late to redeem past tasks that might have seemed unrighteous if they will lead us to a more righteous future. Teach us to learn from our own slavery what it means to be free. Free from meaningless sweat and labor Free from lives that end with memories only of work and not of purpose or, or of blessing. God, this week may the tasks of our busyness draw us not away from you, but drive us to you. And when we question the productivity of open hands and open ears, and open hearts, and closed lips this week. Remind us that there is only one need, which will never be taken from us lest we surrender it. And that is the need to be in your presence and to hear your voice. Help me this week to be a radical Mary and a righteous Martha. We're a people passionate for you this morning, dear Lord. Passionate for you. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Well, I haven't been here in a while, but at BCC, uh, you receive a blessing, and then you're not dismissed, you're sent to, to go be the church outside of this facility. It's a very nice facility. So receive this blessing. May you find yourself in the midst of stillness this week. May you be busy with listening. May you find yourself in the midst of Righteous tasks. 
that constantly drive you into the presence of your Savior. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.